Welcome to the Women Encouraged Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Berendrecht. We are all about growing in Christ and being shaped by His Word, so I'm delighted to share these conversations with Christians who love the Lord, love His Word, and are pursuing a life of faithfulness in Him. I'm praying this episode is a blessing to you and that you'll be encouraged to apply the gospel to this topic and walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. Welcome to the conversation. It is my great joy to welcome Jen Oshman to the Women Encouraged podcast. Jen, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Bethany. This is so great. I'm I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you. Would you just take a minute to introduce yourself to our listeners? Just give them a little idea of who you are, maybe a snapshot of your life on a day-to-day basis and the kind of stuff that you work on and write. We'd love to hear about it. Sure. Um, Well, my husband and I have been married for 20 years, and we have four daughters. One is already grown and gone and actually married with a baby. They live out of state. And then we've got three teenage girls in the home. So that is a joy and definitely marks a lot of what I do every day. Um, But we were overseas missionaries for 15 years. And so we lived in Japan, where most of the kids were born. And then we lived in the Czech Republic, and we've been church planters. And we um, unexpectedly came off the mission field four years ago to Parker, Colorado, to take care of my dad, who was dying from Alzheimer's and dementia. And so we found ourselves here stateside. Um, It wasn't the plan, but it's what God did. And we eventually were led by the Lord to plant a church here. So I'm now a church planter's wife as well. Um, But we still have our hands in overseas missions. We're still actually missionaries with Pioneers International. And we travel back and forth and spend a lot of time on Skype um, chatting with our colleagues overseas and helping them with just recruiting and strategy and other things. So it's a it's a full day uh, marked with the local church and overseas missions and then also writing. When I have that time, I love to sit down and write on the blog um, as well as the book that's um, coming out soon and podcasting when, when that's um, available as well. Yeah, I'm super, super excited about your book to come out. I'm so grateful that Crossway sent me an advanced copy to read. I devoured it in a day. Um, Well, kind of, I would just say I started it and then um, finally sat down and just like, I couldn't put it down by the time I I, I really got digging into it. And so I am so thankful that you wrote it because it is a very good introduction to, um, just shifting our worldview if for, for women that may may struggle with um, having the right perspective about themselves in the world and and kind of um, yeah where we're at as a culture mm. and and what the solution is in a lot of ways and so it's not uh, it's not overwhelming to read I'm just so thankful um, because it's kind of the thing you could just give your friend and say hey take a look at this I think it's gonna bless you um, would you tell us about the book and just what prompted you to write it well thanks for that feedback I'm so glad to hear that I hope I was hoping it would be something that felt conversational so I'm glad that you you felt that way when you read through it Um you know, what prompted me to read it was just a really heavy burden. Even when I was overseas, I was very plugged into just um, Western women's ministry because our our church in Okinawa, Japan was for American service members and their families. So that was all just American ministry to Americans. And um, I love to read and I love to keep up with blogs and different websites and just kind of know what's going on back in the States, even when we lived overseas. So I was seeing from afar, and then when we moved back four years ago, seeing really up close and personally what was going on in the, what I felt I was seeing in the church and in society outside of church. And really that is just this, this, the, the age of self that we find ourselves in that, um, 
there are messages all over the place, whether it's on Instagram or in Target on throw pillows or best-selling books or talk shows or podcasts. And even, even it grieves me to say sometimes in the church, whether it's in sermons or worship songs, but just this message that really you are enough, like you can do this. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get enough coffee in you in the morning and maybe enough wine in you in the evening and you can handle anything. You can be anybody you want to be. And so I saw this message just really overwhelming myself and women around me and then really seeing the destruction that it was bringing about, seeing women believe it and then give it their all, you know, really sprint for whatever goal they have dreamt up or whatever is in their mind, whatever they've imagined that they want to be the person that they want to be or the things that they want to accomplish and then falling short because at the end of the day, they find that they are not enough and being crushed by that. And so it's just the destruction that I've seen of the age of self and really longing for more for women, especially women in the church, that they would know their creator and their savior and that he alone is enough. Yeah. Amen. I love that. Um, you're right. You just nailed it that our our world is just so saturated with that message that you're enough. Look within yourself. It's I, I was telling a friend, it is so discouraging to me. Like it is not an actually an encouraging mm-hmm. message to me that like, hey, you've got a problem, add mm-hmm. more you. Right. Like you just you are the source of your own happiness and joy and success. And it's like, no, if I if I need something, I can't give it to myself. Like it's impossible. And so don't tell me, please, please do not tell me that. Um, I just mm-hmm. need to try harder to look, look in deeper. Um, why is this philosophy and this mentality failing us? What is it doing to us? Well, we have really just so grown up in the thick of it. You know, those of us who are, I was born in the late seventies. So I think anybody who was born in the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, we've, we grew up with so many self-esteem mantras being sung to us, sung over us. We were singing them, you know, our, our textbooks, our coaches, our teachers, our parents, there was just this overwhelming message being fed to us that sounded really good. And especially for girls, you know, Mm -hmm. as girls sports or girls classrooms or STEM clubs or things became more prevalent for us in the 80s and 90s, I think there was just this this mood that rose up that was like, girls can be anything they want to be and they can reach any star they want to reach. They just have to try hard and work hard and they'll get there. And, um, of course, God has made women wonderful. <laughs> he is wonderful. He's a wonderful creator and he created us wonderfully. But that message just points, as you just said, that message just points us back to ourselves. So if we have to look within yeah. to determine who we are, and then we have to conjure up the energy to get there. And then if we do get there, we have to know that we got there. We have to really be looking at ourselves and going, am I enough? Is this enough? And so we turn to things like social media (laughs) or other people because we need their praise and we need their accolades. We need them to reassure us that, oh yeah, you've reached it, but it's never quite satisfying. And you know, you can never get enough praise of man, enough applause, enough accolades to know. So you just keep spinning. You know, it's like this hamster wheel thing. You just keep going and going and going because the the finish line keeps moving because you cannot be satiated. You cannot know if you've ever actually really arrived. And so we're seeing really yeah. 
honestly, a mental and emotional health crisis in the West as women are truly discouraged. You know, anxiety is on the rise, depression's on the rise, suicide's on the rise. And I'm not saying that my book addresses, you know, is not the end all be all answer to that, but the problem is for sure spiritual. The problem is for sure connected to our spirits and the fact that we were made by a God for him. We were made by him and for him. You know, he created us on purpose for a purpose. And we've severed that connection. And we've said, no, I'm my own woman. I'm self-made. And so that that's really killing us because we've cut off the the source of life and our energy and our joy. And we've said, no, no, thank you. I'll, I'm going to do this on my own. And it's to our detriment. Yeah, it's so hard. And it's, and it's, I think we all, in some sense, fall prey to it, even mm-hmm. um, believing mm-hmm. women, right? It's not right. just limited to um, the unbelieving world Mm-mm. that, I mean, this is Jesus is the solution to them, but Jesus also is constantly our solution as Christian women as well. And you talk quite a bit about, in the book, about, you know, coming to the end of ourselves. And mm-hmm. so what does that look like? Um, and for Christian women, really, what should that be leading us to? Um, mm-hmm. Is this, you said it was a spiritual issue, so then we want to be engaging in repentance. So what do we need to be acknowledging to the Lord? Um, what does repentance look like in this sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, as you said, this absolutely applies to us Christian women as well. In fact, I think we ought to be the most ready to acknowledge that we are not enough. And I think it looks like as you said, I'm prey to it. I mean, a hundred times a day, I fall prone to this message over and over and over again. I, you know, I sit down at my desk ready to accomplish a task and immediately I'm looking within and I'm, I'm looking for, um, you know, just the, the power and the message within myself. And then I'm honestly seeking to glorify myself and put myself on display so that people applaud me. You know, it's just this daily acknowledgement and recognition that, we are prone to wander and we are like, you know, our, our ourselves, we're like magnets. We're just drawn back to ourselves all the time, like a moth to flame, you know. I want to I wanna put myself out there. And so it's just a constant acknowledgement and recognition that the life and breath that I have and all that I have is a gift for my creator. And he has given me so many things, whether it's my home, my education, my laptop, my kids, my citizenship as well as hardships, you know, any kind of sickness or limitation or whatever it is. He's put all of those things in my life for a reason. It's that I might bring him glory and that as I bring him glory and as I enjoy him and as I draw near to him, then my soul will be the most satisfied. So I think repentance really looks like it's it's nothing flashy. It's just this small daily even hourly, really, honestly, every five minutes, remembering who we are and remembering whose we are. And I think it looks like a lot of just breathed out prayers through the day. You know, it doesn't have to be this lengthy liturgy. It's the it's the daily liturgy. It's the daily ordinary of as I sit down on my computer, Lord, speak to me. Show me what it is you have for me. As I talk to my kids, Father, is this what you have for them? Are these the words that are pleasing to you? You know, over and over and over, just checking in with my creator, asking the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me to bear the fruit that he will bear through me, because that is going to be for my good and it's going to be for the good of my family and the people around me. And it's going to ultimately honor the Lord. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think you've you've touched on this a bit, but how does the gospel 
transform our thinking and our practices because you know we can't just have one without the other mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. you know it's they're not separated from each other but how does how do we find ourselves changed um by the truth of the gospel mm-hmm. in this situation sure so i think that we are really captive to this idea that there is a formula and there's a way to get things accomplished. There's, you know, it. What in school, we study hard and we work hard and we do well on the test. In our jobs, we work hard and we get the promotion. You know, we make a to-do list in our home and we get things done. There is a genuine formula in so many areas of life where if you put in, you get something out of it. And, you know, we can't deny that. That's kind of just common sense as a proverbial truth. Yeah. But I think we tend to apply that then to our spiritual lives, which is not the same way. You know, the gospel is so counterintuitive. And in the in order to come to Jesus, we must acknowledge our limitations. We must acknowledge that we are sinners, that we belong to the domain of darkness. But because of the great love with which God loved us, he sent his son and he rescued and redeemed us. And now we're in the kingdom of the beloved son. I mean, the entire gospel is rooted in neediness and humility mm. and an acknowledgement that I have nothing to offer the king of the universe who made me. I have nothing to give him, and I have sinned against a holy and perfect and just God. And he's He's handing out forgiveness to me. What a gift. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. And I want to receive it, and I want to yeah. walk in it. And so I think as Christians, we come to we we come to the end of ourselves. We get to that moment, that on-the-floor moment that I refer to over and over in the book. Mm-hmm. And we receive yeah. that grace with open hands. But then I think, and I don't know if you can identify with this, Bethany, but then I think I feel like we sort of wipe our hands clean and go, okay, well, now I'm saved. So here's my to-do list to grow in my faith. Right. right. <laughs> and here's yes. the, all the ways that I am going to be discipled and be a better, stronger Christian. But the beauty yeah. of the gospel, and not that those things aren't good, it's good for us to, you know be devoted to daily disciplines of growth. But the banner over all of that is that Jesus is our substitute. It's that we will never be good enough. We will never be sin-free. We will never approach every situation with the holiness that our God requires and the holiness that He offers. But the reality of that is a gift of freedom, he, it, Jesus traded us our sin for his righteousness, and we can rest in that. We don't have to be the perfect good Christian. We don't have to complete all of these tasks. We don't have to go through that program or whatever. We don't have to look a certain way because we are in Christ. We are hidden under the shadow of his wings. And so when we, when we come to the end of ourselves and we receive that gift of grace and we go, Jesus, covers me, no matter what my performance looks like, no matter what I actually do, Jesus covers me. And when God looks at me, he sees Christ. That is real rest. That is real joy. And that is when we can live and move and work and do ministry from a place of acknowledging this is by God and this is for God. Yeah. And really, I think that just propels us into um, wanting to continue to pursue Jesus mm-hmm. more and more. When you realize that it's not your performance that makes you acceptable to God, it's not that to-do list of righteousness that makes you worthy of his love, but that he has he has brought you in and he has made a place for you and he 
and you stand, you know, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, when you really start pondering that, it's like, wow, I want to pursue Jesus. I want to be righteous. I want yes. to um, work out my yes. salvation, you yes. know, with fear and trembling. And and I love what you talk about changing our diet mm. <laughs> um, in the book. You talk about changing our diet from you know, like in that sense of, of meology, mm-hmm. junk mm-hmm. food, to a healthy diet of right theology, mm-hmm. um, and just that right view of God, and um, and it, it changes our priorities and our actions. Um, but for somebody who might be thinking, like, man, how do I know if I have had a me-centered relationship with God and His Word? Can you just maybe so- share some? encouragement, maybe some diagnostics Mm -hmm. for someone who's just thinking like practically, what does that look like if I've been doing that? And then from from that place, maybe how do we pursue that renewed mind and and the right thinking about who God is and who we are? Yeah, sure. Well, I have to give thanks to Blair Lynn for that word, meology. That's um, one of her songs is meology. So just transferring from (laughs) studying ourselves to studying God, that's Theo. Theology is studying the Lord. So it's just this this transition from being focused on self to being focused on our God. And I'm it, it really does grieve me to say that so many, quote unquote, Christian resources are really focused on self. Um, and I get it because it's so easy to focus on ourselves. I do that a million times a day. So I I, I see why that I see why our even our Christian bookstore shelves are lined with so many things that are self focused. Um, and it, I think it's really hard. You know, other friends who've read this book have said to me, you know, Jen, I didn't really see this problem until I read what you wrote, and then I matched it to my Instagram account. You know, it's like kind of jumps right. out at you once you start looking for it, but. Yeah, but it's so prevalent. You see yeah, it everywhere. It's, it's so, but if you don't like know what to look for, it's the air that you breathe, and you don't you don't even realize that it's there. Yeah. So I think a great sort of litmus test for you know are your Bible studies or are your books or are your resources or your just your practices are they me focused or God focused is really just looking at what is what is the content what is in here and what does it keep pointing me back to because we become what we behold. And so the author of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, there is a place for self-reflection. There is a place for taking stock and going, where am I falling short? Where do I need to ask the Lord to help me? What's what's the problem here? But if we stay focused on ourselves, if we just keep gazing at our navels, if we just keep looking in the mirror, we are going to get on that cycle of just um, ultimately being self-loathing. You know, we're going to be so self-focused that we're going to dislike ourselves and just loathe ourselves. And that's, you know, that's that may as well yeah. be pride, right? That may as well be self-aggrandization. It's the same thing. It's the two sides of the same coin. And so we want to spend our time, our effort, our energy, our love, our passion, our joys on fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And really, our faith comes from the Lord, and He grows it. He perfects it. I just love that verse because it kind of sums it all up. He, not only is He our creator, but He is our redeemer. And so fix our eyes mm-hmm. on Him. He is infinite. He is worthy. He is perfect and holy. And every time we look at him, we will learn something new because he is infinite. And so let us fix our eyes on him. And so I always encourage women, you know, who is the subject of your Bible study? Are you doing a ton of like 
self-help kinds of things, maybe personality test inventories? Are you just staring at yourself rather than studying the attributes of God? What is God like? You know, Jen Wilkins says, the Bible is the story of the reign and rule of God. So are you coming to the Word of God knowing this is a book about Him? This is not a book about me. I'm not going to open this up and find, you know, kind of like fortune cookie sayings for myself. I'm going to learn about the creator of the universe in these pages. And he there and I'm in there too. Like he has something for me in there, but this is a a work that's primarily about him, written by him that we might know him. So it's it's I guess to answer your first question is it's really just a state of mind or a frame of mind. It's a it's the way you view your life. It's the way you view your Bible. It's the way you view all that you're taking in. Who is the subject? Is it you or is it God? And then um, just to follow up on your the second part of your question, like what do those habits look like? What do those practices look like? I think, you know, I always encourage, remind myself and encourage others. It's nothing really fancy, but it tends to be the Word of God, the people of God, and the Spirit of God. It tends to be, yeah, you know, amen. first that we come to Him with in confession. You know, confession is like the gateway to joy. You confess that you are not enough. You confess that you need Him, and then you walk through, and you seek the Word of God, the people of God, and the Spirit of God. And so we we do have to be in the Bible, like we do have to commit ourselves to that discipline. You know, I know I just got done saying a second ago that it's not about what you do. That doesn't earn us. That doesn't earn your salvation. That doesn't earn you like an A instead of a B in being a Christian, but it is the way we renew our minds. That's the reality is that our minds are just so prone to fixate on ourselves and on the world and our flesh. And so we do have to be in the word to know more about who he is and what he has done. We can't trust somebody we don't know. And so if we're going to trust the Lord, we've got to know who he is. And that's, we're going to find that out in the Bible. So that's the word of God. The people of God is we've got to just have a community. We've got to be involved in the local church. There's, I know that's not popular, but honestly, any Christian woman that's listening right now, you've got to be plugged in to the local church. You've got to have men and women around you who are going to sit with you in the pew and sit with you at your house and sit with you at the table and pray with you and labor. You know, it's this is like a team sport. We need teammates around us to seek after Jesus. And then the Spirit of God, you know, that is by being aware that we have the living Holy Spirit inside of us and calling on Him. I mean, the infinite resources available to us by the power of God, by His grace that live inside of our hearts and souls. There's we, we've got to acknowledge that and walk by that and live by that. And that, you know, just through prayer and meditation um, on his word and just asking him, crying out for help, he will hear us and he will send it. That's so beautiful. I'm just sitting here nodding my head the whole time that you're talking. I'm so encouraged by this, Jen. Thank you. Um, when it comes to that end goal, maybe of finding joy. You know, I was thinking when, while you were talking about um, those verses in Hebrews, it also made me think about um, the passage in Philippians too, about mm. having the mind of Christ and and what does Jesus demonstrate to us about how to find joy and, and how to think about ourselves. So um, would you share that? Just how does he show us how we should be viewing ourselves and um, in relationship to God and and yeah, what do we need? What is it going to take mm. for us to imitate him in order to find that lasting yeah. joy in our lives? Well, this is like a simple answer, but such a hard answer because the reality is that Jesus laid himself down for us. You know, in that passage in Hebrews, probably what you're referring to is where he said, for the joy 
it says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So he had his eyes on joy, but he knew that the path to that was through the cross. And like you said, in Philippians chapter two, have the mind of Christ who willingly poured himself out for us, even unto death on the cross. And so Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to bear your cross. You've got to pick up your cross and follow me. And the and lasting joy is found when we lay ourselves down. And that is a simple but a hard truth because everything in our flesh and everything in our culture just rails against the idea that we would sacrifice anything. I mean, I don't even like to wait five minutes for my children. You know, these humans who I love right. <laughs> more than anybody else in the whole world, you know, I'm like irate if I'm sitting in the car waiting for them for 30 seconds. And that's just the truth. I, right. I don't want to lay myself down in that one really dumb way. And so we we just, we rail against the idea that we would sacrifice for anyone or anyone else, anything or anyone else. But the reality is, is that's what Jesus did. And he asks us to follow him. And because we are created in his image. There's no way around doing what he did, walking, you know, abiding in him, walking the way that he walked, if we want to find lasting joy. We will, we were created for lasting joy and laying down our life is how we find it. And if we don't lay down our life, we will keep looking for the lasting joy in all the wrong places. We're just the way we are knit together is to find it, is to be on that pursuit for substance and joy that is transcendent beyond our own life. So everyone's looking for it. Everyone on the planet is looking for it all day, every day. But the reality is, is the God who made us laid himself down for us. And if we don't do the same, we will not experience the lasting joy he intends for us. But it's just, it's counterintuitive. It's counter to our flesh. It's counter to our culture. And so it's something that we have to rehearse all the time. Like, is that really in there? And in the book, I do... I do lay out a bunch of scripture because even as a Christian, like I've been a follower of Christ for over two decades, even a missionary, a pastor's wife, like I teach the Bible. And even I, like on a daily basis, I'm saying, did God really say that? You know, the first lie in the Bible in Genesis chapter one, did God really say that? Am I really supposed to lay down my life? Well, yeah, I am. And what's crazy is if you've done that in a small way or a big way, You've experienced that freedom and that joy and that peace on the other side of it. So when we do lay down ourselves, when we do serve our, you know, when we do choose, okay, this coworker does not deserve a blessing for the cursing they just gave me, but I'm going by the power of the spirit in me, by the power of the resurrected Jesus inside of me, I am going to bless this person who has cursed, or I'm going to kiss my husband when he walks through the door, even though he was kind of a jerk to me this morning, (laughs) you know, or I'm going to you know, just Mm. extend love where it's not earned or deserved. You know, we, you do that and what wash it, like this feeling washes over you, right? That the spirit gives where, you know, he's pleased and he fills you with joy and contentment and peace and satisfaction that you cannot find anywhere else. And yet we fight against it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is so counterculture. It's so counterintuitive. You know, our culture tells us if you want something If you want to feel good, Mm -hmm. you have to contend for yourself. Like you have to go out and you have to Mm -hmm. do battle to get what you need. I mean, it's everywhere. It's, it's on the Oprah shows. It's like, you know, it's, you cannot go on Pinterest without seeing this kind of a message. Like you, you go get what you need for yourself and fight for yourself. And Jesus says, no, just come and die. 
and I will I will meet every need that you have. And it's so backwards and and yet God's economy is so right and so yeah. perfect for us. Um, we don't even realize how much more joy there will be than if we strive and fight and mm-hmm. you know battle with other people yes. to get yes. the respect and the love and the admiration that we feel like we deserve. It's um, mm. God is so much more kind than than the world is in in what He gives us in response to laying down our lives. Yeah, I think what you have described is really what we're seeing around us is that. We, you know, um, to steal from John Piper, we're far, or from C.S. Lewis, we're far too easily pleased. We we are settle for, you know, what I really need is a glass of wine at night. What I really need is another coffee break or a nicer car or a nicer house or a better job or a different husband or my kids to get into the school. I don't know. We, we put so much hope in the here and now. And um, the reality is, what happens is we find that that stuff is is never satisfying. It's never enough. We need more. We need more coffee. We need more yeah. money. We yeah. need another degree or something. Or we need more followers. We need more likes. We need more people to tell us that we are enough. Or we need more me time or whatever. And all those things, they satisfy for a minute, but not ultimately. They ultimately ring hollow or even leave a bad taste in our mouth. And that's God's grace. It's totally God's grace to us that we would not be satisfied in these temporary pleasures of the world. Yes, amen. He made us for more. You know, when people say, you were made for more, I'm like, yeah, amen. And more for probably than what you're talking about, (laughs) you know? Probably more suffering than you think you are, (laughs) you know, you're supposed to get it out of this. Um, Yeah, it's the message that that we're made for more is actually so hollow and so sad. Yeah. Because how are you going to get the more that you think you deserve? (laughs) Right. Right. We just, we need Jesus every hour. Absolutely. And I think what you're talking about, just this, um, you know, how we're far too easily pleased. I think, I don't know if you're, you're seeing this the same way, but I so often see that we are trying to have our foot in both worlds where we say, yes. I need Jesus, uh-huh. but I also need wine. I need Jesus, but I also mm. need coffee or essential oils or whatever. You know, not that those coffee, wine, <laughs> or essential oils are bad things. No, right, but, right. But we're like, I will take some of Jesus as much as just gets me over that hump or over that to all the way to the feeling that I'm right with God. But then I'm also mm-hmm. going to make sure I satisfy myself in other ways with these other things. And instead of seeing that those things are gifts from God to be used for his glory to, you know, maybe to help us be more perky or, you know, um, <laughs> they're gifts to be used, but they're not the solution to the the problems of emptiness or, um, or joy or anything like that, that, you know, anything that we're lacking, ultimately Jesus satisfies and, um, yeah, it's it's a sad thing to to watch friends or loved ones kind of walk down that road where they think, well, I'll take some of Jesus, but I also need this other stuff. It's Jesus plus theology, and and it's just right. sad. Um, and at the same time, I do want to address this, that some of us, we might be facing the temptation. Some of the women that might be listening to this might think, I've got all this. I understand everything they're talking about. And they're, they might be facing the temptation to feel disdain for women who are really hmm. influenced and shaped by the self-esteem movement and the self-help theology. Um, and I don't want to 
I don't want to go down that road of saying like, look down on all these women who have got mm, it wrong. Um, right. Because like we talked about, we're all prone to this throughout our day. There is not a day we're not going to be faced with the temptation to idolize ourselves. So is the solution to that temptation to feel disdain just simply realizing that we're all going to face this temptation? Um, or are there other ways that we can be looking at ourselves rightly and at the same time, being able to humbly address this and encouraging one another on this issue within our local churches and circles of friends. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny. We can, this whole like, find your people, find your tribe mood, like this era that we live in, I think makes us quick to sort of choose a team and then look down on everybody else. And we even do that in the church. And it's it's not good. It's not good to be like that. It's, I think we, um, as Christians, above all, all other people must walk in humility. I mean, we know the reality. We know what is true, and that is that we belonged to the kingdom of darkness. And because of nothing pleasing within us, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, because of the great love with which he loved us, Christ died for us, and he rescued us and brought us into his kingdom. And there is nothing, there was nothing in and of ourselves that brought that about. And so yeah. Christians ought to be the most humble, the most grateful and gracious, grace, you know, soaking and grace giving people on the planet. And yet we live in a fallen world and we sin. And how many times a day do I walk in pride and do I look down my nose on others and do I scoff? So I think we all know what that feels like, that scoffing mentality that kind of rises up within us. And I think that has got to be just a loud alarm when you sense that welling up within you. That is not of the Lord. And that is not okay. And we've got to repent in that moment whenever we feel any tinge of pride, any tinge of like, well, I'm on the right team. Well, I've got this figured out. Well, I I know better. Right. Um, any wisdom that we have comes from above, as James says. God gives us wisdom from above. So if you are discerning, if you are saved, if you are growing in theology and awareness and um you know, of what the word says, then you must also be growing in grace and kindness and mercy, all those beautiful fruits of the spirit. Um, and so I think that is such a good warning. And I'm glad you brought this up, Bethany, because we're all prone to it all the time. And we've got to remember that everything we have is a gift from God above. And then I think too, though, you know, we can take that humility and sort of tweak it and I think end up actually making it counterfeit and making it a scapegoat or a reason mm. that we don't confront the lies that yes. are all around us, you know. So good, so good. <laughs> and that's false humility. You know, yeah. we are called to speak the truth and love. I mean, how many epistles say, rescue your brother who is in sin? Go after the one who is lost. Speak, you know, we see Paul rebuke Peter to his face in Galatians. Like, it is good and right to call out a false gospel when you see it or false teaching when you see it. Yeah. So with that foundation and that grave awareness that we need Jesus every hour and we have been rescued through no work of our own, from that foundation then by prayer, but then awareness of what the Word of God says and by asking the Holy Spirit to help us, we really should, we really must go to our friends and go to, to our churches or our women's ministry leaders who might be propagating a false teaching and they don't know it and say, hey, let's compare 
this with the substance of this. And as we said a few minutes ago, you really do see the stark contrast when you put them side by side. You know, our flesh wants to believe we are enough, and we do believe that so easily. But when we contrast that with the truths of Scripture, we're like, oh, we're like jolted out of that stupor, and we realize, oh, no, this is actually a terrible lie that we are believing, and it's keeping us at a distance from our Lord and Savior. So, you know, it's really both. It's this humility and gratitude to the Lord, but also the strength of the Lord and the kindness of Him who doesn't leave us where we are and asking Him to help us go to those who might not have yet been awakened to what is true and good and beautiful and sharing it with them. Yeah, so good. I love that. And it just made me think of that verse. I think it's in Galatians where Paul says, you know, if anybody's in a trespass, you know, you are spiritual, restore them. Um, but also looking to yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Yes. And so I think it's like you do do the restoring, you do go confront the sin, but you also are mindful of yourself and right. know that, know what you're prone to. But that doesn't mean, like you said, that false humility that, oh, well, you know, I'm broken too. I can't possibly say, hey, you believe a false gospel, <laughs> you know, rescue those who are perishing. Don't let them go that down that road. Um, and I feel like just having this conversation with you, Jen, I just feel like this is really the spirit in which your book was written that, you know, only Jesus satisfies, only Jesus gives you true joy. Look to him, eyes on him, enough about me, like your book title says, you know, I want I want people to be looking to Jesus. And so I'm so excited you wrote this book. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I loved that I got to have you here. Oh, thank you. And thanks for reading my book and for sharing it with your listeners and any benefit that it is to you. I just thank the Lord for that and for what he's doing. And yeah, this is just a sweet privilege. Thank you, Bethany. Oh, praise God. Before we go, I want to ask you the question I ask everybody. What has the Lord been using in your life lately to encourage you in your walk with him? Well, I really tried to prepare for this answer because I knew it was coming. <laughs> was coming. So I hope that it's not cheating if I give you two answers. No, please do. Um, I want them both. Okay. So one is that at the new year, there I, there's three other women that I meet with. We It's called Core Group. And the three of us meet once a week. And we decided to read, to follow the Bible Project plan that has Video, like a few videos, you know, every month, as well as daily reading to read through the Bible this year. Yeah. And um, doing that with them has been such a joy. It's, I know we're only a few weeks in, but just texting each other, like, what do you think about this? And did you read that? And can you believe that? Um, as reading scripture together has been right. such an encouragement. I'm so grateful for those women. And then the second thing was something actually that just happened last night. Our local church, we hosted a worship and prayer night. We're just a little church and it was a little gathering, but we spent an hour and a half um, just singing and you know praising the Lord. And then we had different tables with different focuses for our prayer time. And we just prayed for you know our community, our nation, our world, different things, different people in the church. And having that intentional time set aside to worship and pray was really an immeasurable nourishment to my soul. I'm so glad we did that. And I hope we do it again. So those are two. Oh, that's so neat. I saw that on your Insta stories actually last night. And I was like, oh, those are, that just looks like a great opportunity. And what a gift to um, really come together as a body. Yes. I, I mean, we don't, we, we live such a rat race life, don't we? I mean, we all, and it's, it, it tends to be full of good things. We're doing, I feel like good things, but carving out the space to worship with others and pray with others, not on a Sunday morning, but like a special extra, you know, time. It was good. And it, for me, if I don't make intentional plans to do stuff like that, it's not going to happen. 
Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Jen. It's just been such a sweet privilege to talk with you. And um, yeah, looking forward to sharing this with the ladies soon. Thanks, and, Bethany. And really hoping that people will pick up your book and just be encouraged and share it with one another. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.